Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome, everyone, to Aggressive Negotiations. May the force of others be with you. I am one of the Jedi Masters here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he is always, uh, even though we are in hiding at the moment because of the Jedi Purge, John Mills. Yes, it's uh, very purgeful where we are right now, and so we are uh, sticking to the back alleys of a remote planet, uh, broadcasting from a a top-secret bunker, actually. Hopefully nobody on the show commits perjury. That's true. We would not want anybody <laughs> to commit perjury. That is, that is the worst pun I've heard in that, John. years, man. My good, like I was going to jump on that train, and I realized I, I, if I tried to grab on, I was going to dislocate a shoulder. Good, well done, <laughs> sir. Well done. Oh gosh. Well, um, we're so excited to have everybody back here uh, at Aggressive Negotiations, and uh, had a fantastic episode of the last few weeks as we talked to Nick about Rogue One, talk about Kyber Crystals the next weekend, and John and I thought, you know, we actually haven't really just had a chance to sit back and talk as masters about Rogue One ourselves, and True. thought it would be an awesome idea just to, to talk about whatever was coming into our heads now that we've seen it. Now, uh, John, how many times have you seen Rogue One now? I've seen it a grand total of three. How many times have you seen it, Matt? I have seen it six now. Six times, so mm-hmm. twice yes. as many. Yeah. How so, many? Well, how many? Okay, th- this is the Mike Schindler and me coming out. How many different formats have you seen it in? I saw it in IMAX 3D, 2D, uh, 4K 2D, and yeah, just 2D. So I, I've seen it once in in IMAX 3D. Okay. Uh, rate the experiences for me. Which was the best format to see it in? Because I've only seen it in 4K 2D presentation. What was the best presentation to you? That's a good question. I really like the theater that we go to here uh, near our house in Washington State. Uh, the IMAX 3D there is very good. It, it, it's it's a LIMAX, but the presentation is fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the screen is always bright, even if it's in 3D. So I I really enjoyed that presentation, but I think the 2K, I think the 4K 2D presentation may have been the best that I saw. Okay. And it uh, the film uh, beyond everything just looks fantastic, beautiful. I mean, it, it's it's so incredibly shot. Uh, the yeah. cinematography is wonderful. Uh, every frame feels like a Lucas production in the sense that you could pull that frame out and frame it and feel like you had art. I think for the most part. Okay. No. No. I mean, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I think that the. I think that the effects shots were were really really strong. A lot of the standalone shots that I think you're you're right in pointing to, like I thought a lot of the outdoor shots were like breathtakingly well framed, well shot, uh, well balanced. The effects shots I thought were very well done. Um, you know, and what what I noticed about them, what I think is really a testament to how far, like if you if you use Rogue One as a measure compared to, say, Phantom Menace for how far digital technology has come just since then. If you look at how crisp everything looks, because, it, like, there was always a little bit of pixelation, um, you know, even in in, uh, in in Phantom Menace, and even, you know, like, you could tell that the technology was still birthing itself back then, whereas now everything is as crisp as a well-lit model. Like, I, I noticed that, Especially with the yeah. X-wing oh, yeah. models, yes, were 
the like the modeling on the ships was just breathtakingly done. Yeah, I, I don't feel like there's really any effect shot that pulls me out of the film. Uh, and I will say that after six times viewing it, that's definitely the case because, you know, I the first time you saw it, I was starstruck, awestruck when Tarkin came on screen. Uh, yeah. It just could not believe they were going there. And, you know, the same thing with Carrie Fisher at the end, just kind of flabbergasted that they were, you know, doing everything they could to pull this off. And and um, I think the more times I've seen it, the more my brain is used to seeing it, and therefore it looks more real. Sure. I, I mean, I, I definitely noticed... I, I mean, the Tarkin thing, once you accept it as part of the film, really does play so well in it. And I think there needs to be a special tip of the hat as well, because the guy's name has sort of been lost in the shuffle of the talk about Tarkin. I think you pronounce his first name Guy, might be Guy, but Guy Henry mm-hmm. was actually the guy on set doing Tarkin. And what I think is, is really interesting that gets lost in the conversation about all of these things, because people, the, the conversation has come back up that did come up when Jar Jar was on screen was, well, what about actors? You're just trying to replace actors. And I was I was really thinking about it with this, you know, with Guy Henry. He was actually on set. When they did reshoots, they brought him back in. Right. To, you know, like they didn't just recreate it in the studio and say, hey, do some voiceover. He was actually on set doing it. And it, it's one of those things where I don't I don't see now any substantive difference between an actor who's digitally replaced like that with Tarkin and somebody putting on a creature costume. Do you consider somebody putting on a creature costume less like the, the, I don't know the guy's name um, or actually I don't know whether it's male or female, but um, one of Saw's uh, rebels, the, the one, the very squat one. um, Yeah. 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 That's a person in a suit. Is that less valid than somebody being replaced with CG who was on set? I don't think so. I th- I think it's just another I mean like I think that the Tarkin thing and even the Leia thing really just reinforces it's just another tool. It's just mm-hmm. like right. putting makeup on. It's just better makeup, I guess. Yeah, no, I I mean I agree. Uh it's it's a really it's really well done, and it, it makes sense, too, because, you know, specifically the Tarkin character, he needs to be there. Uh, it, it would be strange if he wasn't uh, because of the closeness of the story. And, and you really do, I think, a part of this whole event of, you know, if you've read Catalyst and then you've walked into Rogue One, he's so much there a part of the story as well, so it's a really a continuation. But mm. even just looking at, episode four obviously Tarkin's the main dude there how does it go from this credit guy to to Tarkin and that's all part of the I to me it's just part and parcel of the story they're telling and I I think the work that they did and I I think you're exactly right to call out Guy the the fantastic job that he does of giving life to the characters just as important as the animators because it's the body movements that he's studied of of uh that they're going off of uh, to get well, hi- him right, and uh, so I, I think they do a, a really good job in all of that. But but here here's my question, and what what's very interesting to me is Tarkin was very noticeable the first time, but by the third time, you know, like we said, you you, you come to accept him more. But do you think Tarkin needed to be as present as he was in this story? Do you think that they could have gotten away with? two scenes with Tarkin as opposed to having as much a, you know, a, a, a story arc with him as they did. I, I'm not like challenging necessarily. I, I'm just curious your point of view. Do you think he needed to be that present? I think the only reason that we asked the question is because of the technique used to bring him back. I think without that technique, there is no question that he should be there as much as he is. And I don't think there's any story reason why it doesn't make sense for it to be Tarkin. And therefore, I conclude because of that, that no, it, it needs to be Tarkin. And and if they're going to use those tools to, to be able to bring the character back, 
put him in in every place that it makes sense for him to be there story-wise. And I think they, they do a good job of that. Very much in the same way that I think they would have done it in the original Star Wars because George doesn't have a lot of money for extras, so he mm-hmm. uses the people he has. And one of those was Peter Cushing, and that's why you see Peter Cushing so much, I think, in Star Wars is because he's one of the few people that you have... He's also a star, so you want him in as many scenes. I think they're taking that same mindset okay. and putting it into Rogue One and saying, you know, how, how do we tell the story? What makes sense? And if you take out the technology part of it, w- where would you put Tarkin? Where does he fit story-wise? Okay, so let's take the, the, uh, the technology part out of it and address Vader. I am very much of the opinion... And I, I've said this before, based on what we saw in the early previews, that they shot two versions of this movie. One where Vader was more present and one where Tarkin was more present, which would make sense to me because they would want to hedge against the Tarkin effect. They didn't they couldn't have known whether it was going to work until they saw the first, you know, like composite footage and they said, commit. That's it. That's you know, we have shots in the trailers of Vader standing where Tarkin is standing you know, in certain setups. And do you think that the movie works with Vader as minimally present as he is, or do you think he should have been more present? I think that it works from everything that we know about Vader from canon, and that Vader is somebody who's in the shadows. He He's not somebody who's meant to be at the forefront uh, and, and that forefront won't come until episode five, where Vader is the one basically in charge uh, of everything. Uh, it seems like just below the Emperor, like he's moved up the ranks uh, with Tarkin gone, with all these other people gone. It's it's Vader. Uh, well, here's here's an interesting thought that I had, actually, um, it, when I was really like going into it, is that... If you want, you can view Rogue One and A New Hope playing off of each other in the sense that Tarkin stabs Krennic in the back to take the Death Star from him. And I still maintain, I've I've held this view for a very long time, that Vader's play for power to overthrow the Emperor is to take the Death Star. And I think that you can see sort of like a, a, a presage of what Vader wants to do with how Tarkin stabs Krennic in the back I think Vader, you could project now in A New Hope, Vader is hoping to stab Tarkin in the back and take the Death Star from him. And that way he has a claim to power, you know, to make him a rival to the Emperor. I think that that works. Um, I think it makes, you know, because the whole role of the Sith is to overthrow the Master. And what better way to overthrow your Master than to say, hey, guess what? I've got a Death Star. You're on a planet. Yay, me, you know, like that that sort of thing. I, you know, maybe it's a stretch, maybe it isn't, but that is sort of how I resolve some of the uh, the the storylines with Rogue One and A New Hope. No, I, I agree with you, and I think that, again, that makes complete sense with everything that they have been giving us in all forms of canon. Uh, you know, the, the Empire is, and, and we see this all over the place, but even if we're just looking at the films... It's an opportunity club, you know. Uh, you right. get ahead by uh, finding a way to take out who's in front of you. And so, and I mean, it, yeah. it's even seen in, in uh, Star Wars, you know, this station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. You know, uh, that's, yeah. that's a statement of we don't need mysticism. We don't need you anymore, Vader. We've got this covered now. And so well, I, I think it, it's, it's blatant all, all over all of Star Wars, really. Yeah, I mean, you can also see very clearly an echo in Empire Strikes Back with uh, with with Piet and um, and Ozel, and there's even the discarded plot line from Return of the Jedi where Jared was trying to uh, overtake Vader in terms of the Emperor's favor. I still I, I lament the loss of that plot line because I thought it was it was great, but oh well. Okay, so we, we've been here, we've been pretty effusive so far, and I think that out of the gate you were more effusive about your love for Rogue One than I was. And so I want want to pose a question to you, 
actually, where I know that you love Rogue One. Just a statement of fact. What in it doesn't work for you? Like what what it I don't think that you believe that this is a perfect film. Like this is the best piece of cinema ever created in history. What about it doesn't work for you? You know, there is one scene, actually, every time I see the movie that does the same thing to me. And it makes me think, oh, that scene from an editor's standpoint doesn't need to be there. And it's when they're on Edu and everybody has left the crashed U-wing and they they've they go back to K2 and K2 says, what's going on? You know, I, I, if Cassian comes back, we're leaving without them. That scene is completely unnecessary. There's absolutely no need to, to go back to get that quick shot of, of him saying that. And it kind of bothers me every time because it, it just breaks up the suspense that's going around with everybody else and what everybody else is doing at that point because you have like three right. different groups moving around on Edu with with kind of different plans or different courses of action and it's just it it's a completely unnecessary scene and that one really sticks out like a sore thumb to me every time I see it I'm like oh, Gareth you could have just cut that you know five seconds of a film okay and just move to the next scene you were going to and I think it would really have helped the flow of that Edu storyline so, so. But nothing else in the film doesn't work for you? There, there's no other minor change you would make here or there? It's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't given it a ton of thought. Um, that's really the only one that just keeps jumping out at me is just being blatant every time I see it. And I think the same thing every time I see it. It's not as though it, my opinion has changed on that. I, I thought the same thing the first time I saw it. I was like, ooh, ooh. Ooh, editing mistake right there. And you know, I'm not one to harp on editing. That's not, you know, where I go. But I just, I recognize it immediately. And if I can recognize it immediately, it means there's something wrong, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so um, well, the only the only other thing that I think might, if I was, if I was doing anything, it might be okay to have the movie uh, be a little bit longer in the beginning. So that the scene from when Jin is captured, you maybe see more of her life with Saw. And I, I think maybe 10 more minutes there could actually be a real benefit to kind of... Uh, right. Because just that way you spend more time with Saw uh, before he's completely nuts. So you can kind of see the progression there. Uh, I mean, obviously they, they are giving us Saw and Rebels and, and, and that was great. But I still feel like, uh, you know, if, if, if I was going to change anything, and I don't think it's wrong to have a two-and-a-half-hour Star Wars movie, right? you know, just, just maybe give us five, ten more minutes of, of some scenes so that you build that out. But, you know, uh, I'm also not one... I, I didn't really have a problem with the jumping in the beginning. I it, it felt very much like a Clone Wars episode to me where you're kind of hitting things quick, boom, boom, boom. It, well, so. the, the, you know... With the jumping thing, that the the third time I was finally able to put it in my brain when I walked out and I said, ah, I know what would have made it work, the, the choppiness work better for me. I still think it's choppy in the beginning, uh, the way that it's constructed. I still think that ring of the scene at the Ring of Kafreen is not necessary. Um, I agree with you about the scene on Edu with K2 um, that, that really does jump out as like, well... Yeah, I, I mean, we, we, we've kind of figured out that, you know, Cassian at this point is at a decision point in his life as to how letter of the law he's going to be with his orders. And I think that five minutes is a very long time in, in screen time. And I think that Jin has, to speak to your point about Saul, Jin has that flashback dream. And you could have even snuck something in there mm -hmm. yeah. with two little snippets of her talking to Saul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You oh, could have yeah. resolved it that way. For me, what I finally figured out, what would have made those jumps, the choppiness work better, is the wipes. I realized in mm. Star Wars mm -hmm. films yeah. what makes a lot of the leaps and a lot of the changes and a lot of the time skips feel better and more natural is the wipes, which they consciously left out of this, give you this feeling of, and stuff happened. So you can sit there. It's almost like a visual cue to say... 
<laughs> oh, well, I'm just not being told what happened here right, as opposed right. to it suddenly jumping and going, wait a minute, what am I missing? And a bunch of other S went down. You don't need to know. Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't need to know how long it took to fly to Mustafar. Exactly. Um, you know, that that sort of thing. But, you know, and so I think that that, it, it's so funny because I didn't think that I would ever miss those wipes in a in a Star Wars film, but I really realized that they do forgive a lot of jumps in storytelling, especially, uh, I would say, with, with Attack of the Clones. Mm, there are a lot yeah. of things that the wipes forgive. I also, as one other final note, and we've gone back and forth about this since our first conversations about the film, I would have gladly done away with the, uh, the, the little titles of what planet you were going to. I considered them unnecessary, and the fact that they weren't consistent and they didn't have it on Mustafar made it jump out even more for me, where I was like, wait a minute, why is this the one planet you're not naming? That's not cool. You know, and so it's a minor thing. It doesn't ruin right. the movie for me, but it's just it each time it's just sort of like, yeah, I know where you are. And it doesn't matter where Jin like Jin's on Wabani. Oh, what does that matter? They don't even name Tatooine in the original Star Wars. The only name you get is Mos Eisley. So I don't know. That, that's just my two cents with it. Right. I mean, and the thing is, I don't want anybody to think that I'm like beaten up on the movie. I've actually mm-hmm. liked it a whole lot since the first viewing. Mm-hmm. But these are just like the little things that that I would I would pick on. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting the uh Star Wars show did a, a fun show the other day where they were talking to a, a few of the behind the scenes guys and one of the questions they they asked which was nice they actually got some questions uh from fans in there was about, you know, why Mustafar didn't have a title card. And uh, I thought it was an interesting answer from a storytelling point of view which was we didn't want to give away where we were going. We didn't want to give away who we were going to see. So if Mm. you're not as familiar with Star Wars, you'll be surprised, most likely, about whose castle you're going to end up at. Whereas Star Wars fans, we all get that. But, you know, just the minor fan or just the fan who just goes to see the movies, they're not going to pick that up. And so, you know, having Darth Vader show up would be maybe more of a surprise and a shock. And so okay. I, I can I, co- uh, I see. totally see from a story point of view why you would do that then. You know, it's funny, though, while we're talking about Vader's castle. So one of the things that I thought was really cool about that was they carried on, I think, sort of a tradition in hiding in little visual cues. The front of his and, you know, there are architectural hints on the inside, too. But like the front of his castle is basically like a very ba- like when the when the shuttle's coming in there's one point where it's landing and you can see basically like a silhouette of Vader's eyes and mouth yeah as the entrance yeah. and i was like oh, okay that carries on a fine design tradition uh having to do with with Star Wars they always sneak mm-hmm. in th- those little things but speaking of things that they sneak in i want to have a toe to toe specifically about this one thing because it's something you and i've never seen eye to eye on about this movie Dr. Evazan and Pondababa, which for anybody who doesn't know those names readily, um, messed up face guy and walrus man from the cantina who later rough up Luke and lose their their life and arm. He doesn't like you. Right. <laughs> well, I don't like men. you either. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. Um, I Every time I've watched it, it takes me out of the moment. But you disagree. I, I don't know if anybody can convince me that it works or why it's necessary or or anything like I mean, any callback, I guess you could say, isn't necessary, but it jumps out at me big time. What what is making it stick for me? What, from your point of view, is there something in me that's making that's broken, that's that's fixating on it and it shouldn't like what what's going on inside my brain from your point of view? I, I'll just say from my point of view, I just kind of laughed with joy when i saw it it was just like oh those guys that's funny that's that's that and and i didn't take it any further like i didn't care about how they got off the planet and how they got to most Eisley next i just figured they're traveling through and just happened to land maybe they just need to refuel you know whatever uh you know it didn't enter into my brain any of that kind of stuff it was just a, a legitimately a moment of those guys that's funny that they just kind of you know there's bad-tempered jerks who show up on all the wrong planets and all the wrong times, you know, and, and I, 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 yeah, I, for me, it was just a, a kind of a, a moment of 
Star Wars goofiness. It, 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 yeah. The same kind of thing that, you know, Lucas might do, I feel like. Yeah, you know, Lucas had lots of, like, gags like that throughout the series. Um, and, I mean, it's better. Let me put it this way. I'd rather have this than Jar Jar stepping in poo. Yes. That way. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with Jar Jar stepping in poo and the Eopi fart. Yes. Are the two things that I think made people reject Jar Jar out of hand. I think that they... I don't think anybody goes nuts for him, but I don't think they hate him except for those two things. Um, and also the boss Nass scene where he gets promoted to general is completely unnecessary and I would cut it out. But that's a discussion for another day. Um, for me, I think I think it is as simple as it's like the, the holographic chessboard in The Force Awakens. The camera lingers too long. It spends too much time with it. it. It takes like an extra beat or two to let the people who aren't the diehard Star Wars fans, it gives you an extra moment to say, oh, right, that thing. And I think the best Easter eggs are the ones that take a little effort to find, such as General Syndulla being called for over the speakers or seeing Chopper go by in the background. Those are the, those are the types of callbacks where it's blink and you miss it. And I think that Evazon and Ponda Baba work better if it's if it's like boom, hey, and like they look back and they just see the guys turn around and look over their shoulder instead of stopping and going, hey. Um, you know, I I feel like uh, you're harping on it a little bit too much. I don't think it lasts that long, and I do feel like it's more uh you know a blink and you may have missed it kind of thing. I, 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 that's just where I fall personally. I think they spent more time on the blue milk at the beginning than they did this. Uh, so. It just, I, yeah, I, I hear you, you know, and, and I can't really argue with you because that's how it made you feel. And, and so that's not one of those things where I feel like any, either, either of us is wrong. You know, it, all of those no, things this are going to be No, this is podcasting. That, this is the yeah, internet. Everybody's no, wrong is, at some this point. This is one Come of those on. definite moments where it's like some things are going to work better than they do for others and, and. You know, this one just landed for me, and it, it's it's just a joke. I mean, that's really what it is. It's a joke that landed for me that it didn't for you, and I, I don't really take it as much more than that. Um, sure. So, and and I think no, I, I'm that not, was the I'm wonderful thing ruin, about this I'm not film saying it is, ruins the movie. I'm right, not saying right. it ruins the movie. I'm just saying I'm like, eh, you know, like I just didn't dig it. Well, and I think that, that's one of the things that I really liked about this film is that I felt like the humor – was much more ingrained in the movie, uh, and it was less noticeable in some ways. It felt much more fluid to the story and to the characters than I felt in The Force Awakens. Um, and, and I really liked uh, that. And part of that is because the humor really came from characters like K2 uh, and, and um, you know, things like that. Uh, there weren't there weren't there wasn't a lot of time to be making jokes, uh, but when they did, for the most part, I felt like they they landed, which was nice. I, well, I I mean I, I think it's two different joke telling styles, if you will. You know, it's like you know for some people, you know, uh, whatever. I I mean I think it's just two different types of humor. Um, and you know, and yeah, there were there were definitely things in Force Awakens that didn't land for me. I mean, there were things mm -hmm. in there were things in. Uh, the originals that don't land for me, but part of that is a function of just having seen them so many times that it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. this joke again. But like, you know, I, actually, while we're talking about it, like, I, I almost want to go because we're we're still on Jetta, right? The and I, I'm gonna butcher the name of whatever the heck the creature was, but because the thing is, the Borgullet. The is that what is it again? The Borgullet. Borgullet. What what's killing me? is it sounds like Borgata, which is the name of a casino in Atlantic City. So like he's like the Borgata. I'm like, what? Where why are you going gambling? But um okay. So Borgalet, does it does it work for you? Like that is definitely a scene that I think is unnecessary. Like it just sort of is there and I would sacrifice that again for you know, a little flashback while Jin is flying and, you know, get get an extra minute with uh, right. with Saul back then. Uh, I, I like it, uh, one, because I feel like it feels like George, a uh, strange esoteric thing that's just there to be there. 
But uh, I think it does play a part in the story of continuing to help you see just how far gone Saul Guerrero has. Um, I mean, he, he's so far off the ledge. And uh, even after the questioning by the Bargolites, he still doesn't seem to believe what he was told by it. But again, yeah. I think it, it, it gives you... Okay, if if we have a being that can read somebody's mind and you're told by that being what that person came to you for, but you still don't believe it, there's something definitely wrong with you. And I think um, the amount of crazy uh, and the amount of fear and the amount of um, paranoia that he has at that point is definitely yeah. heightened by the Borgullet. At least for me, I can maybe understand how it doesn't work for others. But I also think, I mean, it has an effect on Bodhi's character for the rest of the movie because he's he's not all quite there for the rest of the film. He, he I, I mean, I, I guess. I mean, I, I can... I can see the point you're making. I, I don't think I'll ever come around to it. But now, even as we're talking about it, now I'm thinking that Star Trek could very easily in their next film create a creature or a villain uh, called the Borg mullet. That would <laughs> be very terrifying. Yes. And it would be, you know, it would be evocative of the Borg gullet. And we could say, hey, there's a crossover here. The Borg mullet transferred dimensions or something. Uh, it, I mean, and I, the, the thought of a Borg queen and a mullet is just really scary. So. <laughs> the thought of anything in a mullet is pretty <laughs> terrible, Matt, honestly. Except so, for Billy Ray Cyrus. That's totally different. Don't uh, mess with his achy, breaky Jedi. Um, that's right. <laughs> okay. All right. So here, I, I've been I've been thrown down the challenge, and I, I we're going a little over this time because I think this is a really rich discussion to have. Um, I, I've been throwing challenges at you. What challenges do you have for me? I mean, we, we've had some discussions about this. What do you I mean, is there something I've said that I should be defending better or something that's not clear to you or, or you know, like what, what kind of challenge do you have for me here? I want to challenge you on uh, the idea that you know, we've uh, and you've mentioned, you know, this this may be more of a film that's uh, for fans more so than for non fans. And I feel like uh, at this point, uh, the challenge needs to be thrown uh, the challenge flag to you. Why is that a bad thing? Uh, you know, uh, we are at this point with Star Wars films where, just like Marvel films, if you haven't seen all of them, that's kind of your fault. It, it's been around long enough, uh, you know. So, why is mm -hmm. it bad that we would reward fans then with a film like this? And uh, honestly, I don't see it doing horribly at the box office. So it seems like everybody's responding to it. Well, I mean, obviously, it's not The Force Awakens, but the, that's a totally different thing, bringing back Star mm -hmm. Wars after, mm -hmm. you know, so many years and continuing the saga and all that. But, uh, you know, it seems like this is the place that Star Wars needs to move if it wants to continue to mine. And so, yeah. Okay. Why is that a bad thing, or or do you still feel like it's a bad thing at all that this is maybe more for fans first and then everybody else second? Uh, this is what I'm going to say about it: is that I came out of it convinced that this was more for fans than anybody else. That this was a film that was constructed as fan service first and foremost. Uh, I went on record as saying that. What I've encountered is that that read may have been wrong. Uh, because I spoke with my in-laws and I spoke with other friends and relatives and other people who are only tangentially fans of Star Wars. You know, they're fans of Star Wars in the sense that everybody's a fan of Star Wars. There's absolutely nothing, you know, oh, I'm a fan of Star Wars. Great. Do you also like cheese or milk? You know, like it, that. Great. Good for you. Do you drink coffee? <laughs> right. Exactly. Do you breathe air? Are you a fan of air? Uh, but the I, I found... Everybody loved it. Everybody walked out of it. And I think that possibly what it is, is that going into it, seeing the callbacks, seeing that sort of stuff, and seeing them bring back Red Leader and Gold Leader, I was like, oh, they're obviously just creating fan service here. I love it, but I don't think it's going to play for other people. And I was wrong. I, I, I freely admit that, that this is playing a lot better with general audiences than I thought it would. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I really do. It's not that I wanted people to dislike it. It's just that I was highly skeptical that it was going to play to a broader audience. I was wrong. Freely admit it. 
I'm going to submit too that maybe the reason that you felt like that is not invalid, but it's an overreaction to the idea that passion can't win people over. Like if you do something passionately and and portray it passionately and 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 people see that passion that they'll be drawn in. And I I honestly think that Rogue One succeeds because of Gareth Edwards' passion and everybody else behind the screen's passion. John Knoll. I mean, all these people who have worked on Star Wars their entire life or have wanted to work on Star Wars their entire life finally got the opportunity to lovingly make a film that encompassed, embraced, and celebrated every single aspect of Star Wars, whether it was from the prequels, Clone Wars, Rebels, original trilogy, and sequel trilogy, and books and comics. And I mean, it, everything that made us Star Wars fans, I feel like, is celebrated in this movie in a way mm-hmm. that says, whatever part you like, we're loving it. Whatever part you maybe don't like, we're still loving it and maybe giving you a reason to go back and, and check it out again. You know, I think that passion came through in the film. And I think it that's what won people over. But in terms of the passion, I think that also there are some performances here that can win people over. Oh, yes. So I want to, but I want to ask you, in terms of the performances, I'm going to lock you down to two. Not a one, not a three, not a five. I want you to tell me the two actors or actresses or whatever who sold it most for you. Who worked best? And and I think the best metric here is you've seen it six times. I've seen it three times. Who worked better at the later viewings? Did you discover anything new about anybody who did, who at the end of the sixth one did you say, wow, that person really made it work? First, Cassian. I really yep. liked his storyline, and I think that um, Diego Luna really could do no wrong in this film. I, I, specifically, uh, it comes down to his turn. And if you've seen the film six times <laughs> and you're paying attention and you're trying to watch for different arcs at that point, there's the scene where uh, they're on Edu, or they're on their way to Edu, and he's getting the message of what he's supposed to do, which is to still take out Galen or so. But he's still at that communications section, and he hears the conversation happening between Bodhi and Jin, and Bodhi's talking about how. Galen told him that he could get right with himself if he just did what he knew was in his heart was the right thing. And that's the catalyst. That's the thing that that continues Cassian on that movement of moving away from these orders, which he knows aren't correct. And his his uh, ability to then trust, especially with what he's seeing, happen right in front of him on the landing platform, which, you know, he sees the... Scientist mowed down. He sees Galen get smacked by uh, Krennic. Uh, and all of those things, it's, it, it's such a great moment when he decides not to shoot. And you can see all the wheels turning in his head, the conversations that he's been hearing in the background, his own heart telling him what's right, and he listens. And it's just a, it's just a fantastic moment. And, and then it makes the confrontation with... Um, her back on the Imperial, the stolen Imperial shuttle so much better because he hasn't followed orders, but he's also been somebody who's been willing to do something about this for his whole life. And so they both have very valid points, I think, in their argument uh, when they're going back and forth. And he doesn't feel like he has to talk his way out of it. Um, Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, You know, spoilers, uh, Cassian is one of my choices. He's worked better each time that I've I've seen it. And I do think that Diego Luna's performance is is really, really strong. And I, I like you citing that scene um, because you he does a really good job with his body language conveying his you know, before he even hears Bodie, conveying his discomfort with the orders he just got. The way he hangs up the headset is very much conveying somebody who is uncomfortable with what he was just told. So I, I, I agree with you. I think Diego Luna turns in a 
a star making performance actually in this. So who who's your number two? And this is tough because as much as I love K two, he's a scene stealer. But I think the more times that I've seen it, the one who's the most interesting to watch is actually Jin and watch her turn because a lot has been made of, of certain places that I've listened to or heard or read about her. And the, the moment that she's in that rebel compound and she starts to pour her heart out about, you know, what, you know, what choice do we have? You know, it's not really a choice, you know, it. We we do this or we die, you know. And and what I love about that is that the scene where she's watching her father's message, I feel like th- the way that she play Felicity Jones plays that, where her every part of her melts in that moment. You know, it, she even said, and and it it builds throughout the whole thing. But you know, and she says, uh, "I like to think that he's dead." she likes to think that because she doesn't want to think about what her father's become because if she does it's going to lead to pain more pain that she's suffered and she's somebody who's tried to run away she's tried to find a safe space in the galaxy that's definitely not safe and and just live for herself and that alone and that message breaks her of all the things that she could use as an excuse her father didn't run her father didn't hide her father did everything he could to make sure that he could save the galaxy, even if it cost him his own life. Uh, her father was everything she didn't realize he could be because she just feared for the worst, I think. And that springs her into action in the same way that she takes all the training she got from Saul, all of that passion and anger and rage and hate that she has for the Empire and turns it into something good of inspiring others to go out and kick some, you know, empire ass. And I just think um, her portrayal in all of those scenes that she does such a great job of playing it cavalier in the beginning and slowly getting moved to somebody whose whole demeanor has been solidified into a weapon against the empire. No, I, I, uh, you know, uh, just to be different, because I, I agree with your read of Jen. I, I agree with Felicity Jones as, you know, also giving a, a great performance. And obviously, I've already, you know, agreed with you about Diego Luna. I, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to put the spotlight on two other people because there's one one character I've loved since the first showing who I thought stole the show, and that's Bodie. He stole the show for me every single time I've watched it because I think that that is just a fantastic performance. He is completely believable as the nervous guy who keeps getting deeper and deeper into it. Like he, there's very much a sense that he doesn't fully appreciate the magnitude of his betrayal of the empire. Like, and it just keeps getting more and more like he keeps thinking he's going to get away with it. And each, like each decision that he makes, he has to keep making the decision over and over again. This is putting me worse in the situation. This betrayal just keeps getting worse all the time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But somebody who has worked a lot, somebody who worked a lot better for me the third time than even the first time, not going to lie, was Ben Mendelsohn as Krennic. Oh, okay. I I thought after I came out of it the first and second time, I was like, you know, Krennic is undercut by Tarkin. You know, he's a bureaucrat. He's all that. But what I come away with, with Krennic after the third time seeing it, and this is what makes his character work for me, is this is a guy who really wants to be at the big boys table but can't. He doesn't have what it takes to make it. And he's trying so hard. He should have been able to see Tarkin was going to stab him in, you know, in the back. He should have been able to see that Vader wasn't going to back him completely. He should have been able to see all of these things. And so I think to speak back to what we're talking about, like the opportunism in the Empire, I think Krennic highlights almost in the same way that Ozzel does, you don't have what it takes to run with these guys. They are in a class above you, and they are just using you to get what they want, and they are you're you're done. You're toilet papered in them. As soon as you're finished, they're flushing you, and I, like that just really worked for me. I don't know what the sudden transition was, but it, it was definitely during the third time I saw it. I said, "Wow, okay, I understand Krennic now. This is a guy that desperately wants the prestige, but can't get it, and it's killing him inside. That he's continually screwed every time he turns around." 
And see, this is one of those things, and, and I want to transition to a little bit of a question again for you, uh, mm-hmm. where I think Catalyst really helped me and my reading of the different characters and just added to, like, the, the movie felt like kind of the sequel to, the, the direct sequel to Catalyst, and that's what I really liked. But that Krennic is is very good at getting people to do what he wants when he's with them and reading them when they're standing in front of him. He's very good at manipulating people face-to-face. But he's not as good at the chess game when it's just strategy involved. You know, uh, he's not Tarkin in that way. He's not Thrawn in that way. So, yes, he's a smooth talker. He's able to get people to do exactly what he wants. Uh, but he he isn't as good at the master chess, and I think that's one of the things I really loved uh, uh, about Catalyst and adding that to that dynamic between Tarkin and Krennic. It does such a good job of giving you just more to that, uh, as well as um, you know to the very first scene of the movie where they go to pick up Galen and the family. Uh, so uh, that's one of the things I really liked about that. Um, what is your feeling now going in you know, with three times? You've read Catalyst as well. How do you feel like the two work together well? And do you still have like, eh, tar- whatever Catalyst? Or have you changed your mind at all? No, I'm still kind of, eh, whatever to Catalyst. I, I think that, I mean, I think you're wrong Catal- there. Right? You're just completely wrong. I'm just going <laughs> to tell the readers they should definitely read Catalyst. But I, I, I don't think that there's anything... This this is the thing is like I don't think that there's anything in Catalyst that is vital story wise. I think that it's nice to have a little extra character development. It's nice to see Saul introduced to the story and figure out you know exactly where he relates to the Urso family. But I just you know and the thing is I don't want anybody to read this as me ragging on the book. If you want to read it, you're not going to regret it. It's you know it's a good read. You know it's fun. But I don't think that it's vital to anything. And so, yeah, I like my my general overall reaction to it is, yeah, it's good. It's not, wow, you got to read it. And I, and I, I guess that's just, you know, that's just me. Well, and, and I, I'm going to challenge that in a bit and to say, I think what it does is what really great tie-in fiction does, which is just enhance what you're seeing. I think it, it does, it does enhance a lot of those scenes, especially for the Imperials, giving you background on uh, the Death Star, giving you background on uh, the the Ursos, because we don't get to spend a lot of time with Galen and his wife. Uh, and so just I think it does a good job there. Um, give you uh, an even further background on the spiritual side of things from uh, Lyra's perspective. And why she would be passing Jin a, you know, kyber crystal. And that spirituality is going to come in huge in the film. And I want to talk to you about that in a second. Uh, but I, I really think what it does is it, it enhances. Uh, but it also, it world builds for us. It world builds that whole period from Clone Wars to, you know, almost episode four. And I think it does a great job in doing so. And that's what it, I again... Tie-in fiction is really for the fans anyway. So if you're a fan, I think you're going to get a lot out of this uh, because you're going to enjoy the Mm. world building. You're going to enjoy the way it enhances the film. Uh, You're going to enjoy the way it enhances different characters that you don't get to see as much on screen. And I think, to me, that's what I want out of a good Star Wars You know what? I'm going to issue a challenge to anybody who hasn't read Catalyst yet that, uh, that Matt will buy your copy. Oh, really? Uh, if you if you don't uh, if you don't love it as much as he did, okay. uh, warning offer not valid anywhere on the planet Earth. Okay, good. So just want to put that. Yeah, if you're out from you. Tatooine, yes, I will do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. What about Jetta? Je- Come on, people on Jetta have been through a lot, Matt. I think you could okay. Uh, possibly Jetta spare too. a copy. Jetta too. Um, okay. So uh, something that really has struck me uh, six times seeing the film is just how much the force is involved in this movie. And we talked a little bit about that with our Kyber Crystal episode. But it struck me just how much happens where it's very clear that the filmmakers are saying, this is not luck, this is the force. And I, I really thought that a movie devoid of Jedi 
you know, we you wouldn't have expected to have such a spiritual aspect to the film. And I liked that that was not lost, even though this is a standalone film without any Jedi. Uh, I agree. Well, I mean, it had a fallen Jedi in it just to, you know, sort of. Well, that you you know what I mean. I mean, it has uh, (laughs) uh, uh, somebody who could possibly maybe have been a Jedi could be force sensitive. We don't really know, you know, with. No, you know what? I I, I agree with you about the spiritual stuff. I want to I want to ask one last question for you. Was. Uh, what, I mean, I think the answer is obviously yes. I'm just going to say that out of the gate. Cheer it. Force-sensitive, yeah? I think he is the same type of character as Maz Kadana. I think he's Force-sensitive. He understands the Force. He has yeah. never had any training. And um, I, I think the, that's the only reason that the line that says the Force moves darkly around a creature who is going to kill, that's the only yes. way he would be able to understand that. Spot on. Absolutely agree with you. So here's the follow-up question of that. The part two is Bay's force sensitive. And I, I do want to say really quickly, as much as I effusively praised uh, Bodhi and Krennic, you know, citing them as people who worked even better after the third time, my favorite characters remain Chirrut and Bayes. Though that that is the buddy combo of all buddy combos in Star Wars for me. You know what? I, I think Bayes possibly could be. Uh, and, and my reading from that actually comes from having reread A New Dawn for the 602 Club we just did, where we reviewed that yeah. book. And talking about Kanan uh, before the Rebel series and how he, he was dying to deny the Force inside of him. He just wished it would be gone. And I kind of get that reading after rereading A New Dawn from Bayes that he just wishes to God that was gone in his life. Like it didn't exist for him. Like he couldn't sense it, that it wasn't so, a thing because he's so mad so, at it. Would it be fair to say that Bayes would wish he could just wish away those feelings? I, 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 exact, <laughs> and yes, yes. And if you asked him about sand, he'd say the same thing as Sabine and uh, Anakin. It gets everywhere. Um, it does. So. <laughs> uh, it, although I, I suppose that uh, Jetta sand is different than other sand. Do you think that? I mean, because it's obviously cold. Because because uh, Cassian's wearing a parka, so it's obviously chilly there. Yeah. Which makes which makes uh, Doctor Evazon's choice of clothing even more questionable because he's not even wearing well, his a coat. blood's always running hot. So you know, <laughs> that's, it's, you know, that's a good point. Come on, that's why he's so cranky on Tatooine. Exactly, he's so like, hot all yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly. It's why he's just so pissed. <laughs> I just got to call out a couple things. Uh, and yeah, let's yeah. just popcorn things that we just love. That okay, out to, let's do it. Gotta love that the Vader's castle and yeah. the temple on Jeddah, very similar architecture, almost the same. Yep. I just yep. love the perversion of all that is good about the Force, uh, being just. Yeah put into a monument of darkness it's fantastic i'm with you i'm with you i i will say that um i think that um a a lot of what works about the film um is the ending i think that once they go to scarif that is one of uh, it's just it it is very reminiscent of lucas in the sense that um like if you go to return of the jedi which uh i've often championed even back before the prequels because people used to before the prequels people used to use jedi as their their dartboard but like you know, you you have that ending in Jedi is so insane, and I think that it's yeah. similar here in Rogue One. And one of the things that I think that is easy to overlook is that one of the biggest questions in A New Hope has always been, why don't they have a fleet? And you find out that it's because their fleet got decimated here, right? They and their major battleship was destroyed. I mean, uh, right? No, but that's what I love is they don't have any specific acknowledgement of it. Like that's the sort of callback where I like, I like somebody sitting in the audience and saying, "Oh, that's why that happened." You know, like their fleet's like wiped out and their commander is wiped out. I, I really, I really like that a lot. And it takes them till Jedi to amass another fleet. Um, so you know, for me, that that battle that and the way and honestly call out to the editing for the way everything is intercut uh you know in a battle at scarif is just crazy good i i mean i think that's award worthy editing just to begin with especially with working in um you know and, and even the red five callback that's the type of yeah. callback that i love <laughs> where it's like hey red five you know pull it in it's like i can't fly where is oh that's why there's no red five okay 
Well, and and I I want to call out the Battle of Scarif again as well that they did such a great job with establishing shots for the action so that you knew where everything was spatially and you didn't feel lost about what was going on. Huge criticism of The Force Awakens in that last mm. sky battle where everything mm. just seems kind of dark and muddy and I don't know really. This, I felt like they did a very good job of, with all the effects, letting me know you know what ships are coming from where and and you know the the sides of the battle and i i never yeah. felt lost I, uh, and i think that was really nice i think you're a little too hard on the ending on on force awakens conversation for another time but <laughs> another thing that i will say that i really enjoyed uh, uh about the the battle of scarif was th- and this is something i'll defend okay look Michael Giacchino, who did the score, he is known for the out-of-place sweet music as something big and catastrophically bad is happening. See Trek 09 as yeah, George Star Trek Kirk 09. dies. Yeah. And then you have you have the end of this where you know it's the, the slow, sweet music as that Star Destroyer is falling. I will defend that specifically because it's dramatic, slow music. Because this, if you really, really want to get like nitpicky down to the nitty-gritty of it, in a sense, this is when that Star Destroyer falls and goes into the shield, that is the moment that the Death Star is destroyed. As soon as that shield comes down, the Death Star's fate is sort of sealed. And I, you know, I like that. It plays well. It calls that out. And it's the most beautiful moment the Rebels have ever seen. It's right. the most beautiful thing that's ever happened to them yet. I mean, this rebellion has been fraught with danger, disruption arguments from within we already saw that on uh yavin 4 where nobody could come together and it's 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 the thing that is just beautiful and and that music fits perfectly because like you said it is it is legitimately the end of the death star and the hope of the rebellion all coming together it's it's gorgeous so i, I don't think there's Anybody calling on that music and going, eh, it just doesn't I've heard it. get it. I've heard, um, I've heard people yeah. sort of nitpicking it, and that's, but you know, hey, you know, we're we're all about go along to get along. We 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 hear you, and uh, we're, but, uh, we're never going to criticize anybody for their for their opinions that's on true. things. I mean, uh, so we we got a, I think a few more things that we should discuss. One, we got to talk about Vader. I mean, it just it, that last scene, John. Um, we, I will say that wow. one of the things that is the best about that final scene is that when I did see it the third time, I saw it with my oldest uh, child, and uh, <laughs> I started laughing just as I did the first two times I saw it, like actual laughing, because I, w- I can't lie. We finally got to see Vader doing what we always imagined Vader doing, which was just absolutely laying waste to people. And um, so I was laughing through the whole thing because and the thing is, it's not because I'm cheering on Vader doing evil things. It's because it's it's a it's a realization of of a childhood fantasy of exactly how much Vader would own a group of people. And my oldest, when the scene queued up, sat up a little bit straighter and she said, oh, yeah, here he comes. And I (laughs) like the way she said it. I was like that. Chip off the old block right there. Yeah, you're you're definitely like your old man. On it really that means one. that you're doing something right, John. Uh, I think so. I, I think I, I, I like to yeah. think so. <laughs> um, no, I. The thing that I really like about that scene is that it is just Vader unleashed for the only time, probably that we'll ever get it in any mm. film. Uh, mm. In that way, where Vader's in the suit and he is just letting loose, um, and he's let all of that anger and rage pour out on those poor guys, uh, and yeah, I, I we'll talk about it next week when we uh, do something very special for our fiftieth anniversary. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit more about Vader, so I don't want to ruin it. But yeah, that, that that scene to me is just perfect, and what it does then for Star Wars is fantastic so yeah um the last thing i i really wanted to ask you about was what you just thought about um mon mothma and bail organa and the two actors there and their roles that they have were they big enough for you did they feel too throwaway um would do you wish you had more what did you end up thinking about those two because it's not something we've i don't think really either of us talk about 
Right amount on both of them, with one exception. The scene where they obviously, and I didn't really catch it the first time, but I, you know, I got to give credit to a friend of mine, Joey, who once he pointed it out, where he said, oh, that scene where they're first talking to her, that's obviously comped in of Organa walking out of the shadows when they're talking to Jen for the first time. And so when I went back and I saw it again, I said, oh, Joey's out of his mind. That's not, nope, nope, yep, that was a pickup shot. Okay. <laughs> like it was one of those things where I could tell that that wasn't Felicity Jones actually reacting to him. It was just a shot of her looking somewhere and then he, like it just didn't. But overall, I thought that the amount that they used was just right. What about you? I I thought that uh, the portrayals were really good. Um, I yeah. wish I could have had a little bit more bail. You know, just hmm. I, Jimmy Smith is fantastic, and I, I really loved his scene with Mon Mothma. He's like, I trust her with my life. You know, and I just wish you had a little bit more because we'll probably never see that character ever again, uh, except for maybe Rebels. Um, and That's I, a good I just, point. You know, really, really liked that. Um, I thought Mon Mothma was wonderful. The, the actress is fantastic. I mean, she pulls it off masterfully. Um, for all, all our talk about Mon Mothma in you know, the Aftermath series where I'm... What series? The, the, the series where I'm the, loath to like her. What um, what, uh, what 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 series is that? Yeah, I, don't know, it, I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Um, anyway, I felt like she came across better here, but I can see the seeds of where they're going to pull for that series. Um, so, uh, but I wish that... She, Basically, let me say this. If there's anything, anything that I could change in the new Star Wars canon, film or books, is that Mon Mothma would be the same as the Mon Mothma from Legends. I, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I thought she was way more tolerable here than she has been in the Aftermath books. Oh, 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 books. and don't get um, me wrong. I, I think she was fantastic. I really liked her characterization here, and, and but I can see where they're kind of, going to pull yeah those. oh I, I agree with you i i think that um i think that we've well established that if we ever say somebody feels like they belong in one of the aftermath books it's all it's pretty much an insult for aggressive negotiations to say that about a character yeah i say? mean unless for and i will say except for admiral lace ray sloan who characterization and storyline of the of the the empire in those books is is my, is the thing that I actually enjoy. So there, there, nice. I can find the okay, good in enough. just about anything. Uh, I, it's I'm still ha I'm struggling with, uh, you know, air the Jedi. <laughs> you know, I but, think that um, uh, I, th th this is what's this is what's funny. You, you can find the good in anything. It's almost as if even though Obi Wan is your favorite character, I'm the Obi Wan character. I'm slightly older. I'm slightly wizened, and I'm like, ah, eh, just kill them all. And you are the one that's like, no, 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 I can still find good in the Aftermath books. I can still find it. I can still find it. <laughs> so I, you're the Luke of our duo is how it works I mean, out. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> what, what can I say? Uh, but, you know, John, um, I, I just want to encourage everyone uh, that uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Rogue One as you've continued to see it more and more. Uh, we would really love to have you give us some reviews and star ratings there on uh, Aggressive Negotiations on iTunes. Um, our goal in 2017 is to have more Star Wars fans like us and enjoy our show and find the show. And the best way to do that is through star ratings and reviews. So, uh, you know, we really appreciate it if you took a couple of minutes and went over there and, and gave us a star rating and review. Everybody that does, no matter what the rating and the review says, they get shout out on the show. So uh, we want to give you some love. We want to say thank you so much for supporting us in the first year. And we're really excited to be diving into our second year here. And speaking of that, Matt, uh, we want to go ahead and we want to. We want to thank uh, PDX Harvey for the five-star review uh, on iTunes. It says, thanks, gentlemen. I really dig the insight and take on the Star Wars universe from both of you. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much for the kind words, and we hope that 2017 continues that trend. And there's so much to talk about, John. We've got incredible things going to be happening with uh, Episode eight. Star Wars Celebration, which I know we're both hoping to be at. I know I'm planning to be there. You're hoping to be there. So we're not going to promise anything for everyone yet. But that's I, uh, the plan I might so be far. doing a, a scouting service, actually, while I am at uh, oh. at Star Wars Celebration. So, uh, yeah, if anybody knows a good place to uh, live in Orlando, that would be uh, really helpful to me, actually. And if they um, want to do that, John, where could they find you online? Oh, well, you can go ahead and you can give me a shout out online at uh, Kessel Junkie. That's who I am everywhere. Uh, you can also find me here on the Nerd Party Network, 
doing Great Shot Kid with Mike Schindler, analyzing the work of Star Wars creators. You can find me over on Trek.fm with Mike Schindler doing Stage 9 about Star Trek creators. And you can find me on Words with Nerds, a podcast that I co-host with my pal, Craig. And Matt, if anybody wants to come after you and um, say, hey, John was speaking complete sense about Dr. Evazon. Where can they find you? Well, if you're going to do that, I'm not sure I'll listen. I'm just kidding. Uh, of course, you can find me on Twitter, MattRushing02, over on Instagram, and, and Rushing. Uh, I'm on the Trek FM network as well, doing our general geek show, The 602 Club. I hope you'll check that out. All things geeky we talk about from uh, Star Wars, Bond, TV, film, DC, Marvel, old sci-fi, new sci I mean, we cram in as much as we can. Uh, of course, you can also find Star Wars The 602 Club collection on iTunes, uh, as well as The 602 Club. And I also do The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. Lastly, podcast-wise, I'm here on the Nerd Party Network doing Owl Post, a Harry Potter podcast with Drea Kaufman. We are walking through every single chapter of Harry Potter so it is the perfect time to join us, whether you've never read Harry Potter or you've read it a hundred times. It, we're having a blast with that show, so check that out. We're on Twitter, at Join Nord Party, and of course, The Jedi Masters is on Twitter. So check out both places. We love having conversations with you. And you can also find us uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. Well, John, I, I think there's only one thing left to say. I think it's time to close negotiations. Matt, negotiations are closed. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.